Coming up this week, off screen. The bad moms celebrate Christmas. A sacred deer meets a sticky end. We meet Marjorie Prime. Ferrari races for immortality. Arnie gets welcome back to the jungle as Predator returns to cinemas. 78 setups and 52 cuts lead to a masterpiece. Joaquim Trier introduces us to Felma. And those darn lambs still won't stop screaming. All of Scum and More, off screen. This is. This is off screen. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen, I'm Van Connor. And I'm Case Allen. So, Mr. Allen, how's your week been? It's been okay. I went to London. You did with me? Yeah. We had fun. I had a Cinnabon. You did? For the first time. It was you really had, good. You had a New York fold as well. So. I had a New York fold. I had two slices of amazing pizza, just to plug their pizza. Yeah, well, because we are big fans of, of New York fold. Well, I am. Yeah, no, I uh, I uh, had Cinnabon for the first time. I uh, then had uh, diabetes on uh, Tuesday. Excellent. Yeah. Wilfred Brimley there. <laughs> I had diabetes. <laughs> diabetes. Why is he called it diabetes? Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, before we do uh, the reviews, before we do the bulk of the news, the box office top five, give us our chief piece of news. What are we going to kick off with? I think we're going to kick off with Shazam. Shazam? Yeah, I've been practicing that for a while. Is that the movie with Shaq O'Neal as a genie? Uh, that doesn't not. exist. I would love Zachary Levi to be in the movie Shazam. <laughs> so, this is the DC comic Shazam. This is what used to be called Captain Marvel, is now called Shazam. Yes, and we are getting Captain Marvel, but the other Captain Marvel from Marvel, so I'm Brie Larson yeah. as Captain Marvel. There is a whole story behind that. Google it. Promise you won't be disappointed. But go on, carry yeah, on. Yeah, so Shazam is also known as Captain Marvel, but for DCEU, just Shazam. Yeah, Shazam. Okay, so Shazam. Shazam. Yeah, Shazam. Yeah. Um, and we knew there was going to be a film on Shazam for a while. It's going to be directed by the guy that did Lights Out. Lights Out. Is that David F. Sandberg, I want to say? Yes. Is that the one? Right. Yes, okay. it is. And now we know that it's going to be uh, Zachary Levi, who's playing Shazam, which Chuck. I think is a really ace choice. I like him. He's yeah. just Chuck. I like Chuck, so why not? I don't... I can't recall him being in any leading film roles. I think you'll find he was the lead male in Tangled, sir. Well, all right, live action. <laughs> I know, but he's Flynn Rider. You, you, you I do have a hard niece. bargain, sir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he is indeed Flynn Rider. Um, yeah, but, but yeah. I, I, think, I think this is great. I don't know, well, no one seems to know yet, if Dwayne Johnson is going to be in the Shazam film. They have, actually, they did say he's not going to appear. He's... I've heard he's right. not. Well, that's ridiculous, man. Yeah. Well, so we're still going to have Shazam, and then the Black Adam film, and yeah. then Shazam and Black Adam. Yeah. So they're much. putting all them eggs in that basket. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I despair with the DC movies. Even Henry Cavill now admits he doesn't know what the hell they were doing. Yeah. So. Stop announcing films. <laughs> that's what they do. That's how they think the business works. You yeah. announce films. You never have to make them. You just I announce know. them. Gentleman Ghost. Let's, let's, let's have that. He's, he's everyone's favourite Batman villain. Look, all, I want, all I want to know is, if they're just going to keep announcing DC movies willy-nilly, can we at least have one for The Question? You don't actually have to make it. Oh, I want a show of The Question. It'd be amazing. That, that would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. But I like, in the uh, in the DC, the DCAU, in the uh, the animated universe, he was played by, who played Rorschach? Uh, not Rorschach, uh, Jeffrey Combs. Jeffrey oh. Combs voiced the question. And it was good. amazing. It was mm. it was absolutely brilliant. It was how, how did it look as well? Just no face. The, the blank face. Good. Detective suit. Loved it. Awesome. Yeah, oh yeah. 
But I'll have to show you some. Love the question. Should we do our first review of the week then? Because it's one we've both seen for we've a We've seen change. it. <clears throat> so, we have seen it. 7852 then, yeah. which refers to 78 shots or 78 camera setups and 52 cuts that make up the shower scene from Psycho. And what you have is a 90 minute long documentary. Is it 90 minutes? I think it's 90. Right about, it? yeah. 90, oh, 91 minute documentary about the shower scene from Psycho. How they made it, what it means, what its legacy is. Everything you could possibly want to know about the shower scene from Psycho. Here is a clip of Elijah Wood and his mates talking about the shower scene from Psycho. It's so ingrained in pop culture to where it is is transcendent. My seven-year-old daughter knows that, but she doesn't know what it comes from. But, you know, she's made that joke. Like, I don't know where she got it. That's incredible. She has no ideas from Psycho. It's evolutionary. Like, we're just born knowing the shower scene. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? They've got a point, haven't they? The shower scene. Everyone knows it. So iconic, isn't it? I knew it before I ever saw it. It I think because pop culture, because of things like The Simpsons and comedies (laughs) and how many episodes of Seinfeld and Friends and things like that, everything has parodied. This, this this particular iconic scene. Whether or not he parodied the rest of Psycho is a whole other story, but... uh, Dressing up as your mother. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, The Simpsons did that too. Mother, that sailor suit doesn't fit anymore. <laughs> um, right, you would think that it would be tough to, to, to grind 91 minutes out of such a basic conceit as the shower scene from Psycho. But as anyone who's ever studied film on any level will tell you, I'm sure you've... Cause you didn't do film at uni, did you music? I did music. You did a film course somewhere down the line. Though. Did you do college or anything like that? No. Media studies? I just know a lot about film. No, that's fair enough, then. Not to my own help, but there you go. Well, as anyone who's ever done a film or media studies course will tell you, it is absolutely possible to fill a 91-minute documentary with an analysis of any old rubbish. Hmm. Because it can be done. I've, I've actually personally had to do it for the uh, Battle of Helm's Deep. So, yeah, I've had to film 91 minutes on Helm's There's Deep. There's so much to be said about Helm's Deep. Though. I know. Yeah. I know. And I, and I could have gone for another two hours. But, <laughs> but yeah, it happened. So, um... Funnily enough, this never runs out of steam. You can get you can get a lot out of this. Mm. The analysis is quite deep, quite insightful. There's some actually quite knowledgeable uh, sort of interviewees in there. Peter Bogdanovich, for instance, Elijah Wood, Lee Wanell. Uh, trying to think who else is that? Jamie Lee Jamie Curtis, Curtis turned up. Danny Elfman. Yeah, as well. oh, Danny Elfman's amazing. Expect Danny Elfman. Guillermo del Toro, uh, Brett Easton Ellis. Yeah, I love that Brett Easton Ellis is in this. Um, <laughs> he was like, I'm a psycho too. <laughs> and my favourite one, Mick Garris, mm. the producer of Hocus Pocus. Yes. So, yeah. Okay, make of that what you will. <laughs> I mean, obviously, there's there's uh, you know uh, archival footage of Hitchcock himself talking about what he thought certain things meant in it, and it is something that I do think if you've ever wanted to study Hitchcock, you absolutely should see because Hitchcock is still quite uh, quite a popular subject in academia. <clears throat> I think it's something that if you're a Hitchcockian uh, academic, you absolutely must see or an aspiring Hitchcockian academic. Um, you you saw it as well. What did you make of it? I really enjoyed it. I uh, I was a bit sceptical as to what it was going to be. I didn't think mm. you could have a full uh, documentary film about it. But um, yeah, I, I learned quite a bit. And it was, you did, didn't you? It was really like, entertaining, really interesting. And um, I love how enthusiastic Elijah Wood gets about most things. And he really <laughs> loves this. <laughs> he really does. Like, he was, like, there's, there's quite a few bits where you see people watching it. Yeah. So you see him, two people that he worked with. I'm not sure who the two other guys were. Elijah Wood is with two other people. Yeah, you see them watching the scene, and Elijah Wood is just like, it's so good. It's he, amazing. He really does, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. He just, he's De- transfixed, isn't he? He is, yeah. And uh, Del Toro is uh, watching it as well, and it's just, it's really 
nice to see them watch it. We absolutely yeah. understand the reverence that, that the the film gets when you see it, and that, that scene gets even in, mm. when you see it in the context of this documentary. Um, so it's written and directed by Alexandra Ophelipe. And I think uh, he obviously has a very high regard for the material himself. I think that affection shows through as well. Um, as I was with you, I wasn't bored by, at any point by it. I was entertained. I was interested. I was captivated by it. And, I, I mean, if nothing else, I've come away from it now, and I'm thinking I will honestly never look at the shower scene from Psycho the same way ever again. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So uh, I'd recommend it, wouldn't you? I really would. I would. So, should we plug our uh, podcast, our competitions, real quick? Let's do it. So, uh, podcast edition. So, we've got extra stuff. So, this week, we're reviewing the reissue of Sansa Lambs and Ferrari Raced at Immortality, which is a really interesting documentary about, guess what? Um, that's in the podcast extras, along with more news, along with the moment of Cage, which is how we close every week. And uh, <clears throat> if you want to listen to that, all you have to do is download the podcast edition, get it through Acast, iTunes, Deezer, <laughs> TuneIn, any, pick, pick your podcast poison. And, and we're on there. Just go to the end credits, and everything afterwards is podcast exclusive. In the meanwhile, though, uh, you can also win some swag because we we like a bit of swag. We do. What have we got? Well, this week we got some interesting stuff. So you, we were giving away. Uh, we've got our Geostorm packs. We're giving away, which is really cool survival gear from Geostorm. Uh, we're running those until November the third. We're running Blu-rays of Blood Simple. Until November 13th. Yeah, the, well, this is the 4K 40th anniversary, th- uh, 30th anniversary cleanup they've done. Mm. Um, and, of course, Sorcerer has been reissued on Blu-ray as well. Billy Friedkin's, uh, is it Roy Scheider? Yes. Uh, remake um, of Wages of Fear, isn't it? Wages of Fear. And we're running those both until November the 13th. If you want to win, all you have to do is pop along to onscreenfilm.com forward slash competitions or just go on onscreenfilm.com and just click. Fire. Don't. Just save, save some typing. Just, just go on and click um, and win some swag. And there you have it. We love to give things away. We really do. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. The on-screen radio show. And we're back, Mr. Allen. So, um, you, you, you know you know what it's time for now? It, it's time to welcome us back to the jungle. It's predator time. Oh, yeah. man. We we had such fun with this, didn't we? We did. We took a photo. We we took a photo. It went to that. that lame. <laughs> we are so lame. And you could tell as well that the people from Park Circus just did not quite get why we were so excited no. to be at that screening. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, some people there had never seen Predator before. Yeah, yeah. I was like, it, what? How? Nick Barber from The Guardian had mm. has clearly never seen Predator before and did not understand for the life of him why I was so excited pre pre screening. And I wonder if he understands now. Well, post, I hope he does. I, when I see him on Monday, when I ask him, uh, do, do, do you, do you sure. see the appeal now? But yeah, so uh, Predator, directed by John McTiernan, uh, starring, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger, starring Jesse Ventura, starring Carl Weathers, <laughs> starring briefly Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, starring Bill Duke. Oh, yeah. Let's not forget about Van Damme. <laughs> starring Bill Duke. It's just a hell of a movie, and it's back in cinemas. Um Right, so the basic gist is you have Major... Is it Colonel or Major Dutch Schaefer? He's Major. Major Dutch Schaefer, who is sent into the South American jungle with his elite commando unit to retrieve a... Is he a diplomat? I think it, we're told it's yeah, a diplomat. Yeah, told hostages. Yeah, some some downed hostages and retrieve them from the South American gorillas. Of course, this all proves to be smoke and mirrors and not quite the mission they signed on for. But then they wind up on another mission they didn't sign up for when it turns out they're being hunted by an alien killer. And yeah, here's a clip. 
What the hell do you think you're doing? You're gonna need everyone. I'm taking her back. We're out of here in five minutes. You're not going yet. Look, the rendezvous is 10 to 12 miles away from here. You think the chopper's gonna wait? Dylan, we make a stand now, or there would be nobody left to go to the chopper. There is something else. When the big man was killed, you must have wanted it. Its blood was on the leaves. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Yep, you and I love a bit of Predator, sir, don't we? Mm. Oh, yeah, like you just said to me during that clip, you, you were quoting along in the screening, and I had absolutely the same experience. But <laughs> were you doing the Bill Duke bit? <laughs> I was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't care who you are back in the world. I'll bleed you. I'll bleed you. <laughs> I'll bleed you. Real quiet, like. <laughs> That's it. I like Jesse Ventura. This stuff will make That's you right. a goddamn <laughs> sexual tyrannosaur. Like me. <laughs> I um, love Predator. Also a politician as well. Yes, Jesse also Ventura. a politician. It's so weird. Um, so this is the thing. It's an amazing movie. It, it, it still absolutely holds. I mean, it's one of my all-time favourite mm. movies. It's my go-to. I will, I will watch this and just feel better about the world. Um, it's part and parcel of why Schwarzenegger was the star he was because no one else I think could have led this you couldn't you couldn't have had this movie starring Sylvester Stallone it would no, have had nowhere near the effect that it did no um, but it's a large part of the of why it's so successful is that is the writing the character writing those mm. are great characters mm. and the brilliant casting that they all have like no one could have been Billy except Sonny Landon <laughs> even though I'm pretty sure they wish that literally anyone else had Sonny been Landon. Yeah. yeah had been in that role rather they than all, they all have different like different things to do within the team we all have got different advantages and I think that's why as characters we all work really well mm. It's a formula that they've tried to replicate since, like Predators, notably tried mm. to re- tried to replicate. Like you need someone who's like Doesn't the Joker. Like- you need like the really, really big guy. Yeah, you need the one that's a bit like mystical and yeah. It's like, well, like Billy. Bill Duke turns up in a suit to his commando camp at the beginning, yeah. <laughs> which is amazing. Suits. <laughs> everyone else is wearing like tank tops. And- yeah, everyone like you know Jesse Ventura turns up with a cowboy hat and an MTV yep. T-shirt. Bill Duke, oh, that MTV suit. shirt. I, know. I love MTV T-shirt. Um, I absolutely love it. I'm- I mean, it's one of those films, having seen it on the big screen now again, um, I absolutely love how uh, how well staged it is, how cinematic it remains, because it's a film we're used to seeing on video now. But it's, I've um, never seen it on a big screen. How did you find the experience? Loved it. You loved it. Did yeah, you, it's, it wasn't it wasn't that big of a screen as well, but it was it was amazing. To we, see did, it we did we did sit on the front row. <laughs> it was like we were at an IMAX, but not. I know. Uh, did you find it was more immersive in the, in the on the big screen? Yeah, yeah. I find that it's, it really does suck you in. Yeah, definitely. I like having the jungle be an all encompassing. Uh, yeah, it, it sounded incredible. I think as far as like the restoration goes, that's the thing that I only noticed was gorgeous sound movie isn't it yeah because that jungle really has a a life of its own in the audience and every time a gun goes off you feel it as well it just just the sound design is amazing (laughs) that film it is um i love the the staging of it i think john mctiernan's absolute is john mctiernan allowed out of uh, movie jail i don't know is he? I don't know. He got done for, was it tax evasion, I think, a while ago? Well, Wesley Snipes is at you again, isn't he? So <laughs> Yeah, Wesley Snipes is out. Yeah, Wesley Snipes is at you again, so I say we yeah. give Johnny the, the go as well, because there's got to be another Die Hard movie coming, and can we not get Len boot, booted and uh, get, you know, jumped in back on? Maybe. I love that joke in 30 Rock where Michael Sheen is also called Wesley Snipes. Yes. And he's like, when it. you hear the name Wesley Snipes, who do you think of? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I miss 30 Rock so much. <laughs> so, uh, do you want to give me a, a quick piece of news then before we go to uh, the box office top five? We might be getting Battle Lethal Weapon 5. Uh, really? Yeah. 
Okay. I'd still be okay with it. You're sticking with the 80s action theme now, aren't you? That's yeah. Really <laughs> Segway. And Shane Black. <laughs> yeah. You really oh, are, yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, my segue's about good. I didn't even I know. Uh, yeah, it's so, so good. You didn't even know what you were doing. Uh, apparently, Mel Gibson, uh, Danny Glover, and uh, Richard Donner, or Dick Donner, to his Dick fans, Donner? Dick yep. Donner. Um, I've just been talking about it. I've been having a really good time, like, reminiscing. So, huh. this might be a thing. Oh, well, how, how old is Dick Donner now, bro? He's only like 80 something years in, old. He's way into his 80s. He is. Yeah. Because, I mean, that, that guy was, he was, you know, he was. My middle age when he was doing Superman, that was the seventies. Mm. But I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm half and half on whether or not Lethal Weapon should ever come back because I think the fourth one was a step too far. I don't I, mind the fourth one. I don't mind it, but I do. Uh, there's, there's a lot of Chris mm. Rock. There's a lot of Chris Rock, and I do kind of think I, the, I like Chris Rock. The yeah. story loses a lot of the effect for me when you've got Jet Li beating up two pensioners. You know, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll never quite get over. So that. unless like your villain is another pensioner, yeah, you know, what I mean? unless it's Al Pacino, exactly. If, if Anthony Hopkins wants to try and kill Riggs and Murtaugh, I'm on board for that movie. I feel like Anthony Hopkins can't say no to anything right now. Exactly. So you know, you get him, you get him for a decent price. Yeah, you want to know, don't you, yeah. dude? Yeah. Exactly, it'll happen. Why not? Oh, he said dude in a film. <laughs> Should we do the top five, then? Yeah. Number five. A Blade Runner. A 2049, sir. So, um, I mean, it's hanging in there, isn't it, Blade Runner 2049? Yeah, it's actually done pretty well in this country. Um, I don't. It didn't tank in America, but it's just not lived up to expectations. But expectations should have been low anyway. Because it's Blade Runner. Well, yeah, exactly. It was was never really a box office draw, was it, Blade Runner? So the idea that it would be now is kind of gobsmacking to me. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think it's a gorgeous film. I mean, someone made the point the other day, could you imagine if we got, like, a Batman Beyond movie from these guys, what that would be like? And the answer is... (laughs) Absolutely gobsmacking. Mm. But probably, to be honest, the same thing as if you asked Christopher Nolan. So, um, but yeah, Denis Villeneuve, this is his Look at Me, I Am Amazing movie. And I think it's undeniable. All of these movies have been Look at Me, I Am Amazing. But I think it's undeniable now. The the argument stops here. There is absolutely no counter argument to Denis Villeneuve is an amazing filmmaker. Um, But yeah, I mean, does Twitter have anything different on the subject? I mean, it looks like this guy agrees. So Paul Mitchell, who is at Gaston Rimdike, Grimsdike. (laughs) Grimsdike? Okay. Paul Mitchell. Paul Mitchell. Mitchell says, if you don't like Blade Runner, hashtag Blade Runner 249, you are a fudging moron. A fudging moron? Yes. Fair play to you, sir. But he didn't say fudging. He didn't say fudging. Number four. The Death of Stalin. Which I loved. I mean, I know Peter Bradshaw famously called it the film of the year. Um, I wouldn't go that far. I think it's one of the funniest films of the year, hands down. Um, But, uh, you know what, Get Out came out in this year. So I think calling anything else film of the year. We've had a lot of great times this year. (laughs) Exactly. And you know, Geostorm, you can't, in a year in year in which we've had Geostorm, I think... Everything else. Yeah. Because Geostorm happens to be the best sci-fi, the best action, the best comedy. It is the best Gerard Butler movie of this year, I'll have you know. Or as Alan Frank <laughs> would he's say, in, he's in a few. best movie of its title I've seen all week. So, um, <laughs> back to The Death of Stalin, which um, I, had a, I had a great time with. I thought it was funny, I thought it was quite cutting, I thought it was quite, uh, on, quite to the bone, quite raw. Um, but as a character-driven, dialogue-heavy comedy, it's what Armando I she does best. Um, have you got a tweet for me? Yes, at Smart Giles, whose name is actually Giles Smart. Excellent. Well done, Giles. Just saw hashtag the death of Stalin and loved it. Terrifically sharp and chilling, the vicious banality of political power. Number three. 
Lego Ninjago movie. Did you see Lego Ninjago? I can't remember. I've not seen it yet. No. Um, I really liked it. I mean, it's one of those films. I'll, I'll, I have to keep saying with this one, it's the weakest of all the Lego movies. And yet, I, were you actually just mouthing out what I was going to say? We say it every week. Okay, fair enough. Am I that predictable now? Oh, yeah. We've spent that's, a, that's a challenge for next week. Yeah, we spent, I'm going to have to come with, with a new thing. We've spent too much time together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the weakest of all the Lego movies, and yet, I still love the hell out of it. And yeah, just I do, you, I do want to see it. Yeah, it tells you how good the Lego movies are in general. Um, I think the thing with, with Ninjago is the casting. The casting works, um, largely with the exception of Justin Theroux, and that's only because I thought it was Will Arnett. But actually, yeah, who out- was doing his Jack Donaghy. Yeah, which outside of that is not really an inherently bad thing anyway. It's still mm. a pretty amusing villain. Um, I had a lot of fun with it. So over to Twitter. Um, at SuperMe84, me spelt M-double-I. Okay. Um, I watched hashtag the Lego Ninjago movie, and it was an awesome 9 out of 10. Excellent. Fair enough. Number two. I love this, like, ending music. I know. It's, it's so good, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's like, oh, it was that guy. I know. That's what the music it is. It was so sad. <laughs> we can't say that anymore. No, no we can't. Ruined it. Stop using oh, that. Uh, I use that reference so much as well. We, we've not said that this is Jigsaw, have we? <laughs> We didn't. It was implied. It was implied. It was a saw thing. It was Jigsaw. Jigsaw. Or Saw Legacy. You saw this as well, didn't you? I did. I saw it on Sunday. I loved it. Um, Yeah, I I had a good old time. There was someone sat next to us who, um, like, this was the most, like, shocking film she'd ever seen. But, like, there were certain bits where she was like, no, no way! Like, that kind of reaction. And it, it was really, it was just adorable. That sounds like the girl I sat next to during Rogue One. Yeah. yeah. For that bit. Yeah, for that bit. Anyway, um... I liked it, and I, yeah. I, I didn't expect I it to be. It a, I expected it to be a game changer. I expected it to be Saw's greatest hits, or yeah, it was. the Return of Saw, and that's exactly what I got. So, yeah, yeah I was, not, I was not disappointed with it. No, not at all. I was very happy with it. So. Mm. Um, at Eric Walkuski. Good okay. name, strong name, like strong, that. strong, bold. Uh, but one thing Hashtag Jigsaw had to do was bring something new to the table. It did not do that. Just another Blair Saw movie, folks. Well, now this guy's had his opinion and we can all sleep soundly. Well, well indeed. Eric. But you know what? I agree with him. But he seems to think that that's a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. It only had, it didn't have to do anything new with it's it. Probably a, at another, all. another Guardian critic. I, never seen Predator. Oh, I know. Number one. Ragnarok. <laughs> Rag your rock, sir. <laughs> no, um, so Thor Ragnarok, which I absolutely adored. I think you did as well, didn't you? I really did. How much has it made? How, How much has it made? Is it written? It's, it's on the first, it's on our first page, I believe. It has made uh, twelve million. Twelve million. Which That's is a lot. Of really green. good. For, yeah. for that. Film. Well, it had like four days of previews. <laughs> it's, yeah, it came out on a Tuesday. <laughs> Tuesday. That's a long opening weekend. The strongest Tuesday opening ever because there's been like five films open on a Tuesday. I love it when they say, "Oh, it's the it's one, the one highest of the spi- one of the Spider-Man did that. Yeah. I think uh, Amazing Spider-Man One yeah. did that. Like when Best they say Tuesday ever, it's the highest grossing R-rated film on a Thursday ever. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. okay, you are clambering for records. Was there a long list there? But, you know, uh, no, I, uh, I I loved the hell out of Thor Ragnarok. What an adventure! Uh, what a wild, fantastical, galactic yeah, ride! It's it's top at, at least top three MCU. Really, you think? I think it's top three most fun, definitely. Um, <laughs> so we've got different categories. We've got different categories. Top, top three, three most now. fun. Hey, it's not Iron Man, First Avengers. Yeah, it's not Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3. 
Hey, oh, hey, you don't, hey, you don't, don't like, like Iron, Iron Man, Man 2. 2. Yeah. No, it's, not, it's not Iron Man 1, The Avengers, or Iron Man 3. So, you know. You'd put Iron Man 3 that high. I, I do really like Iron Man 3. I a do. lot of people unjustly have a go at it. Yeah, people are weird on it. Actually, no, it I don't buy really Iron Man 3 in my top three. It's, it's Iron Man, The Avengers, and Winter Soldier, actually. Those are my Guardians. Uh, number four. <laughs> That's my four. Number five, yeah. Spider-Man Homecoming, if you must know. But uh, on, on any like day of the week, you could ask me, and this might be number one. <laughs> I, need to, I need to see it again. So I think Goldblum steals it. I think we agree there as well. Uh, I, I think different people steal it at different times. No, you can, yeah, you can make an fair. argument that, that like Tessa Thompson steals it. Oh, she's so Mark good. Ruffalo steals it because the Hulk talks, yep. but is amazing. Yeah. Although actually, Mark Ruffalo in his in his time as Bruce Banner as well, I think is is amazing. Yeah, I think uh, he plays it like someone that has not been himself for two years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I think just the the stuff, the, the way that they depict his character, which is actually kind of new, which is to have him be kind of confused, is actually quite fun. Yeah, because usually he's just he's smart. And yeah. there's someone to go to about Isn't things. There, there are a line that's always like, oh yeah, you, you woo-hoo with your science. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which I love. And also, I do like that we do finally get some expansion of the Thor-Hulk relationship in a way that we didn't quite ever expect that we'd have to. No, like uh, Taika Waititi said, well, Taika Waititi was asked why those characters had filmed together and he said, well, they were left out of Civil War. That's absolutely fair. With the latest film news and reviews... This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back in Dancing Mr. Allen. So, um, our next review is one, again, that we've both seen. In fact, the next two are ones that we've both seen. This so, is such a rarity. I know, imagine that. You having seen, like, films at the <laughs> Me, same time. Me, B2C films. Yeah, it's, it's nice happens. having, like, half-term, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, which... Do you remember the name of the director for this? Because I don't. Yeah, I... Uh, Yorgos, yeah, Lind. I'm the guy that did the lobster. Exactly, the guy that did the lobster. I find find most people just say that. Yorgos Lanthimos, I believe is his name. And uh, okay, so this stars Colin Farrell, stars Nicole Kidman, stars Alicia Silverstone of all people, uh, Rafi Cassidy from Tomorrowland. She was a landroid girl in Tomorrowland, and uh, Barry Keen. Is he George from... George, yeah. From, <laughs> it's, from it's, it's, a, it's a war, George. We're going to war. <laughs> We're going to war, George. <laughs> okay, so this is the story of a, a a surgeon played by Colin Farrell, who, in a very bearded, uh, sort of almost yeah, panther-like... Strong, strong beard. Strong beard, yeah. Um, who has sort of befriended a young boy, as a sort of mentor figure to a young boy, played by Barry Keegan. Um, and he introduces the young boy, who's from a sort of broken home and, and wants to you know, pursue a career in medicine down the line. He introduces him to his family, the idea being that he can he can benefit from their domestic life and it will help him in his own life. Um, but the introduction it brings with it a chaos to Stephen's own family. So it brings with it uh, an element of blackmail. It brings with it a sort of familial unravelling. Mm. It brings with it a deadline that you wouldn't quite see coming. And there's no really, you can't really go too far into the plot of this one without kind of spoiling the hell out of it. Um, it's a very, very unique film, to say the least. And I'll tell you what, here's a clip that's going to set up probably the defining thing about this movie. What happened? Everything's absolutely fine. Larry gave him a thorough neurological exam. It's nothing. You two go home and we'll talk tonight. I won't be late. My schedule today is pretty light, okay? Maybe you should get an MRI. There's no need to bother with all that. He just got scared, that's all. He's absolutely fine. You're absolutely fine, aren't you? Yeah. 
I think maybe there was a test at school today that we hadn't prepared for very well. Yes, you want to spend the day at the hospital with Larry and us. Let's go. Dad? Yeah? Aren't you going to show us an operating theater? Another time, darling. They need me to prep for surgery right away. I have to go. I'll see you tonight. Yeah, it's not the not the the, the most straightforward sounding clip, is it in in sort of execution? But the film is. I've I've seen it. I didn't understand that clip exactly. Yeah. So the film is very very odd. Um, I I went through this in three in in three distinct phases, uh, and you're gonna have to tell me if you had a similar experience. The first third of this movie, I was trying to get to grips with exactly what it was, what the tone was, what the cadence of it was. The second third, I found the cadence and I quite enjoyed it. The final third, it lost that cadence and it felt the need to go more heavily into its own narrative and conclude its own plot, and I thought it felt very forced. So you tell me, how did it work for you? Yeah, similar kind of thing. Similar kind of thing. I don't know if I split up into like three distinct sections or not. I don't think that's the way that I viewed it. Hmm. I saw there's one complete thing. There's one bit where it is just like, Here's the plot. <laughs> yes, pretty much. In fact, this yes. is what's yeah. Like there's there's one interaction. One character sits down and literally tells yeah. another character the plot. Yeah, and it's weirdly late in the film as well. That's you, about as expositional as we get. Yes. I, wow. Okay. Which for one thing, that's really bold and really yeah, fair play to it for doing mm, that. That's, this that's thing really you've cool. seen the lobster and I haven't. Mm. How did it? How do you? Lobster is more straightforward. You think it's more straightforward film than this? Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, I've, they share a lot of. Humor, and you wouldn't think this film has humor. I found parts of it really funny. There are. It's a very satirical film. It's yeah. like a satirical version of a psycho thriller. I found it funny the way that I find Kill List funny. Okay, I I didn't find Kill List funny, but that's, that's fair enough. Not that I find like people getting you know, messed up by hammers funny. <laughs> that's absolutely. No, there's, there, there are bits in Kill List where it is absolutely hilarious. Where like yeah. the delivery of some of the lines are really funny. No, no, I'll go with that. Um, I, uh, I mean, I, I still don't know exactly where the sacred deer came into because I was looking. There were no deer in this movie. Um, <laughs> there weren't any sacred ones. No, uh, gorgeously shot movie though. Mm. I mean, really brilliant. There's an otherworldly quality to it. There's a sequence with a young boy in a hospital at one point that's shot from a completely god's eye view. That's oh, yeah. absolutely gorgeous. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's a visually stunning movie. It's a very arresting film. Uh, but you will spend an inordinate amount of its time trying to work out whether or not you. You either A, get what the hell is going on, or B, are enjoying it or interested in it. And that weird tone and cadence that you've heard in that clip, that is all the way through. That is not singular to that one scene. It is that weird, He had a, maybe he had a test and we did not know. Mm-hmm. That sort of deadpan droll sense of humour to it all. And yeah, I mean, it's got no mainstream appeal. There's no mainstream crossover appeal in this whatsoever, I don't think. Not to say that it has to. Not that it has to, but, I mean, it is kind of the big release this week that isn't written by Agatha Christie, so, you know. Yeah, which we are not... We're not reviewing, because... We're not reviewing it. Yeah, it was subject to filmmaker approval, apparently. Yeah. We don't don't want the spoiler to be released of that film. No, no, I mean, God forbid anyone knows who the killer is in Murder on the Orient Express. I mean, it's not like the book's been around. It's it's new-ish, isn't it? Yeah, I mean... Like, the, the book's not come out yet. No, we the just book, got, we just sold yeah, the story right. The novel will be published next year, and then you yeah. can, you'll be able to read in the book who the who the who actually committed the murder on the Orient Express, as well. And uh, yeah, it was Derek Jacobi. I made that up, by the way. Don't because I generally don't know. I don't know how I avoided it. <laughs> don't worry, I made that up anyway. <laughs> but I do suspect you, you have suspects. Funnily enough, so does Poirot. Um, do you want to give me a piece of? Uh, should we? In fact, should we go straight to uh, Marjorie Prime then? Okay. So we've seen this as well. We've both seen this one. 
on. So, Marjorie Prime, uh, which stars John Hamm, and is it Lois Smith, I believe? It is. So, Marjorie Prime... I was uh, trying to work out, whilst I was sorry, I was trying to work out what I knew Lois Smith from. Twister. Yes. Yes, it's Twister. I had the same thought. I had to look it up. We know her from Twister. Yeah. She's very much a sort of B-level, well, actually a C-level character actress. I mentioned earlier, she's like June Squibb. Yeah, kind of like that, yeah. But June Squibb has had a sort of a weird bumping up that list in recent years, since Nebraska. Nebraska, yeah. Yeah. Which she's great in. She is great in there. So um, this stars John Hamm, uh, Lois Smith, Tim Robbins, Gina Davis, and I think that's it for the the main main cast. And it basically is about... Lois Smith is, uh, in her later years, she's succumbing to dementia, she's lost her husband, and as a sort of therapeutic aid, her son-in-law has arranged for her to have a holographic recreation of the younger years of her husband played by John Hamm whose job it basically is to be a companion a sort of therapeutic companion kind of like a therapy dog yeah, like a therapy dog. Um, only, you know, he happens to look, look and sound an awful lot like her former husband. Uh, we have a clip. I could tell you a story. You liked that the last time. I'll have to take your word for it. I could tell you about the time we saw a movie. We went to a lot of movies. But one time we saw my best friend's wedding. My best friend's wedding. There was a woman, Julia Roberts. For a while it was always Julia Roberts. And she had an agreement with her best friend, her male best friend, that if they weren't married by the time they hit a certain age, they would marry each other. And she was about to remind him of this agreement when it turns out he had already fallen in love with a nice blonde, Cameron Diaz. He does go on in that scene, actually, to give the best best uh, synopsis of, of My Best Friend's Wedding that I've ever heard. Namely, oh, she has a... Uh, and it all ends happily because she has a gay friend who makes one-liners. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um... I was I was kind of impressed by this in on, in one sense I think the actual storytelling was 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 quite well staged and it was it was terrifically well performed. Yeah. Um, um, but you, you said it, you could really tell it was a play. Yes, very much. So at the end of the film, it does tell you this was a play, and you think actually yes, that kind of makes sense. Apparently, it was filmed in thirteen days. And you kind of get that impression they have literally done this as a, as as a sort of stage like exercise. Mm. There's a lot of rehearsals gone into it, and then we're filming this, we're belting this out. I think Ham is very very good in it. I think Lois Smith is probably the MVP of it all. Um, yeah, she's really good. She is really good. Gina Davis and Tim Robbins are just always fun to see on screen. It's always. Can't remember the last time I saw Gina Davis in a film. Do you know what? I can't, actually, offhand. I think I'm so used to seeing her turn up at, like, film festivals now and things like that. Yeah, she does a lot of uh, talks like women's rights. Yeah, and that kind of lots of that stuff, yeah, women yeah. in the media kind of a thing. Yeah, which, yeah. Is, which is really great. Um, which she is, great. is in a documentary called Misconduct. Yes, I watched that. Yes, it's, it is Misconduct. Yeah. It's on Netflix, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I did watch it. It was quite good. It was good. Um, but yeah, really solid. Uh, this feels very much like, I think I, you and I debated this there and then, didn't we, at the screening. I said, it's like a Noah Baumbach version of a Black Mirror episode. Yeah. I, if I did say the Duplass brothers first. And I like, shot you down. You shot me down. Like, okay, Baumbach. Because Baumbach. Duplass films are always markedly different. Like, all the shows they do are really different, but not just Mumblecore. It's not like the guy that does Easy. Okay, what's, what's his it. name? The guy who does easy and oh, dig for fire and is that last Christmas. Why do I want to say Emricky? Something Emricky or Noah? I don't know. I'll, I'll find it. You you'll can, find, you'll carry, find carry it. Carry on with your words. Uh, but yeah, so this is written and directed for the screen by uh, Michael uh, Almereda, who I believe was uh, behind the stage play as well. Um, 
it's, it's, it's really well staged. It's gorgeous to look at. It very much relies on that clean-cut, sharp lines, uh, soft-focus aesthetic of future set episodes of Black Mirror. Mm. Uh, Joe Swanberg. Joe Swanberg, thank you. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, did, I did like it, but I think it's slightly too talky and overlong for its own good. I mean, this clocked in at 99 minutes. Did it feel like 99 minutes to you? Felt longer. Felt, felt like about the two-hour mark, didn't it? It's not to say that I didn't like it. it- uh, was maybe too long, but mm. that, yeah. I feel like were it down to about seventy-five minutes in length, it probably would have still felt like a full and complete film. Essentially, as well, it was. It's like it's the same three conversations, yes. just with different groupings mm-hmm. out of those four people. Very much so. And I, I mean, can't really say anything else. No, no, that's yeah. that's fair. Um, did you did you like it on the whole? On the whole, I liked it. Don't know if I would see it again. I'd probably recommend it if it was. On Netflix, and you'd gone through season five of Black Mirror, really quickly, <laughs> or fair. season four, whichever one the new season is. Oh, I thought you were just saying you can watch this in like two years' time. <laughs> Maybe you could, yeah. Maybe you could. Maybe this would be a good uh, companion to like Electric Dreams or Black Mirror. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. I would say that's a pretty good. You know, watch for John Hamm, Black Mirror, don't watch this. With the latest film news and reviews, I have... this is off screen. <laughs> The on-screen radio show. And we're back, Mr. Allen. So, uh, do you want to give me some news before we go to our final review of the week? I do. So, Inhumans, that was bad. Have you have you seen the Inhumans now? Uh, no, I'm just jumping on the bandwagon. Oh, okay. I've, I've still not watched it. Um, but uh, IMAX have now declared that it was a bit of a failure. Yeah. Yeah, it was an experiment, and fair play to them for trying, but it did not. It out. didn't work out, did it? Yeah. Um, I'll tell you something. I knew that was doomed when I came back off holiday, went to the uh, Friday night screening, Friday night, 9pm IMAX screening of that, that event, mm. and there were about event. seven people in that screen. Yeah. And wow. Sounds about right. And the episode was bad, and I've been watching the series since it's actually aired. I think we're one or two episodes away from the very end. And <laughs> do you know what? It hasn't ever gotten any better. I've not enjoyed a single minute of it. It legitimately is the worst thing to have a Marvel Studios badge does slapped it, on does it. Does it start with uh, the double bill, the two-parter? The two-parter, that was what was on the IMAX screen. It's not a two-parter, it's just the first it's two episodes. It's just the first two episodes. Yeah. I think like I pilot movie. I will. I will watch Rose. Mm. Just, just so I know. <laughs> it's but just. It's, I, it's one of those things. I feel like it, it. It could have been a feature film, and it was announced to be a feature film as part of the MCU. It was Ike Pilmeter's. Why? Why was demand it decided that he wanted it to replace the X Men? And right. What well, in in the film continuity? In in the film continuity, the, the Inhumans were going to take the place of the X Men. Yeah, that that's makes how sense. he saw but it. I guess the trouble is it had already been mentioned on Agents of Shield. Oh, not mentioned. They went. Oh, off. They, they were there, yeah. weren't they? They they're actively involved. <laughs> mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, the series is terrible. I mean, they they only made it because IMAX co-funded it. IMAX yeah. put up half the money for it, and it didn't quite work out for them. I mean. Already aired episodes of Game of Thrones pulled in more viewers than this did uh, in an IMAX screen. So, go figure. But, uh, so, uh, final review for our radio listeners this week, then? Yeah, I'm just not going to listen to it. You're, you're not I, a fan. I have no interest in this whatsoever. Oh, no. Please, let me try and bring you in. Because actually, for once, you and I share an opinion on this one. Good. Okay, you, you don't like Bad Moms. I don't. Right. I did like Bad Moms. You're an um, idiot. I share your opinion, however... 
only I translated across to a bad mom's Christmas, which takes place, it seems to be a year later. It's never particularly described. I mean, this comes only 15 months after the release of Bad Mums. Yeah, I watched a Christian Bell uh, interview. She said that the made first one, Mila Kunis, uh, and the press tour was like about to drop her kid. And she had the kid, and then we went straight back into shooting. That's about right, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it does feel like that. This apparently was filmed back in May in Georgia. Yeah, so. yeah, because they were casting it in like like February and March. I mean, yeah. like, how is this coming out? Which <laughs> weird, isn't in, it? In November. So this basically takes place in the six days leading up to Christmas. It literally, I mean, it comes up on screen in big letters: six days to Christmas, five days to Christmas. So you, immediately, you kind of get where this is going, um, and it, and it is the three the three bad mums from the first movie make a similar pact to what they did last time around, which is, do you know what? Let's do Christmas our way and defy convention. Only their ideas kind of conflict with the arrival of their three very, very different mothers, all of whom have their own idea of what Christmas should involve. Here's a clip. I'm Carla's mom. Hi, Isis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nice to meet you. Hi. You must be Amy's mom. I'm Carla. Jackson, honey, mama needs more hooch. Yeah. That's my son, Jackson. This is my mom, Isis. And the Ruth, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh. ISIS, like the terrorist organization. This is my mom, Sandy. <gasps> oh, Hi, Amy, oh, I've heard so much about oh. you. Oh boy, you really have the same haircuts. Hello, I'm Ruth. I'm uh, Amy's mom. Um, Jesse, I was literally just in the car with you. That's the joke. That's the joke. Well, that's a joke. Um, yeah, it, it is a film like that, actually. You can sit through it and say, oh, look, that's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. And I, I sat in the like you for Justice League. <laughs> you kind of like that, yeah. <laughs> oh, look, that's a big action spectacle, apparently. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they've, um, they've done a joke. This is the weird thing, though. I sat in a public screening for this, and I noticed that everyone over, say, 50 uh, laughed at certain jokes, and nobody else laughed at them otherwise. <laughs> and the weird thing is, those jokes that they tended to laugh at were the, oh my god, that's so extreme, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you ate a gingerbread uh, man shaped like a penis. And I'm like, that's not really... I would do that. Inherently funny. I mean, if you it's yeah. gingerbread. You bring me gingerbread shaped like a penis, I'll eat right now. Exactly. It's gingerbread, man. Oh, that, ain't, that ain't a any, joke. Any form of genitalia. As long as it comes from gingerbread. Exactly. If it's gingerbread, you know, I'll, I'll I'll eat anything. I'll eat anything if it's gingerbread, man. Same. Yeah, totes. This, well, this is a challenge for next week. <laughs> this is it. You come up with the most offensive piece of gingerbread you can, because you're a good baker. You come, I am. This is based, by the way, it's funnier and more interesting right. than A Bad Mom's Christmas. But yeah, you see what you can come up with. Um, yeah, the whole film, I didn't actually laugh out loud once. I think I went, I think I scoffed a couple of times, like a... <laughs> A couple of times. Um, those moments were mostly at the behest of Susan Sarandon, Catherine Hahn, and to a lesser extent, a male stripper character played by the first Green Arrow, Justin Hartley. Remember him? Yeah. Smallville's Green Arrow. Okay, you know Justin Hartley's one of the three leads on the, I know the he's biggest in, shows in this America is right us. now. I yeah, know, like, I know. He I know, is yeah. huge. I know he's huge. I know he's huge. He's <laughs> first Green Arrow. Yeah. Go away. I'm just pointing that out there. Anyway, by the way, um, if you look at when this would have been made as well, This Is Us wasn't really the massive hit it was at that time. So actually, this is quite visionary no, casting. No, it would have been. Yeah, it would have been. But, uh, Let's yeah. stop arguing about anyway, it. Anyway, so, so, it's, right. uh, yeah, it's but, irrelevant. 
But uh, you know what? He's, he's got amazing abs, and he uh, and he looks good with his shirt off, and he's very charming. He's so, the same in This Is Us. Yep, exactly. So isn't he's, a, he's an actor in This Is Us, isn't he? He plays as like a whole star. yeah. I need to finish, like, I only watched like, those three. Yeah, we've we started season two. It's oh, okay. really good. Yeah, but I, 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 I was really impressed with the, the pilot. I thought it was great. Anyway, back to Bad... Oh, it's better than Bad Moms Christmas, anyway. Uh, Bad Moms Christmas, scoffed <laughs> just, a few times. Just didn't carry on watching This Is Us. Yeah, yeah. Um, I came away from it thinking, well, that was the worst spin-off setup I've seen since Batman versus Superman, although strangely still about 10% better. Um, I didn't feel like any of the three leads bar Catherine Hahn were really putting in much of an effort. Uh, Mila Kunis seems to have left the charisma at home. Kristen Bell has next to nothing to do. Charlotte Hines' character has is dead on arrival. Um, Christine Baranski's character is about as paint-by-numbers for a Christine Baranski character that you, as you can get. Well, of course. I it's feel like, it. Just, just get me a Christine Baranski type. You know how you can download plugins for, for apps? I feel like they literally purchased the Christine Baranski plugin and it just adds the character prefabbed into an existing screenplay because that's what Christine Baranski is playing. Mm. And having you know spent the last 20 years as a very big fan of the Dennis Leary Christmas comedy The Ref, which annoyingly oh, we also can't stars... Watch that now. Yeah, we can't watch that now. Oh, my mother's going to be heartbroken. Um, I only discovered that pretty recently as well. I love that movie so much. Uh, incidentally, by the way, that was a thought I had during this movie. My mum would love this... Other yeah, than I'm that, sure, I'm sure I don't think anyone else would. I really thought it was a weak, lazy sequel, and I can't, in good conscience, ever recommend it. So, alas, it is not our film of the week. Shocker. Should we go for one that we've both seen? What, what do you think should be film of the week, Mr. Allen? Because you've got a good idea this week. What, what do you think? I'll go with, uh, I'll go with that Psycho film. That Psycho? Oh, 7852. I mean, because I can't choose Predator. If I'd not seen Predator before... Predator. Yeah. But I, I have, because it's Predator. I think, I think, on principle alone, Predator is film of the week. But, if you need a new film to be film of the week, yeah. it's 7852. How about, we, we'll split the difference. Yeah, and, amicable. And that can be it. That's an amicable difference. Mm. Predator is film of the, you know, film of the you know, last hundred years, even. But, uh, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> but, uh, 7852 as well. So, next week, some interesting stuff. Next week, uh, we're going, uh, we're going uh, back to London with Paddington. I, I genuinely can't wait. Can you not? I can't I wait. I loved that first film. Uh, Chris Honeysett saw it screening. Put on Twitter. It's the it's the it's the family movie of the year with Hugh Grant. With Hugh Grant as the villain. Yeah. To which my response is, what's the family film of the year without, without Hugh Grant Hugh as the villain? <laughs> just, just superimpose him afterwards. Apparently he's amazing. Yeah. I've heard this too. Uh, we've also got Only the Brave next week with uh, your boy Miles Teller. Don't associate him with me. He's Don't make him my boy. You. By the way, Miles Teller's comedic career is attributed solely to the directors of Bad Moms and A Bad Moms Christmas. So, you know, that's... Who? What? Why? Uh, John Moore and Scott Lucas, who wrote uh, wrote directed 21 and over. <gasps> I forgot all about film. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next week we've also got, and this is one you might be quite excited for, Professor Marston and the Wonder Women next week. Oh, soon? Yeah, well, yeah. it's already been out in the US. It does, we've yeah. got Felicite next week. We've got Kaleidoscope next week. I don't know I was, uh, kaleidoscopy. I don't know why I've just said it that way. I don't yeah. know. Kaleidoscope. Yeah, it's uh, kaleidoscopy. Okay. Is it? <laughs> oh, no. Okay. I don't know. It might be an accent on there that I've forgotten. We've got Fireworks next week, which is an anime uh, issue as well. We've got The Florida Project, which I understand you're Can't looking wait. forward to. Uh, that's uh, from the Tangerine director, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, uh, Sean Bacon. It's got uh, Willem Dafoe, not Willem Dafoe. Not Willem Dafoe. Okay. Willem Dafoe. And A Caribbean Dream. Do you know about this one? That sounds like like a rum-based cocktail. It's a remake of A Midsummer Night's Dream with a Caribbean cast. 
I am so in for that. That sounds awesome, doesn't yeah. it? So yeah, so we've got all those to come and more next week off screen. Uh, in the meanwhile, this has been the Caddy Stoker for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been Marjorie Prime. And we'll be back. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Podcast extras for everyone extra who wants extra bits. Stuff, extra, extra bits. Extra bits of stuff and pulp. and <laughs> we're, we're a bit like Tropicana. Tropicana of film coverage. Yeah. No one has said yeah. ever. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's what all the cool kids are calling us. So, uh, some uh, some news to take us to the bridge then. So, um, something uh, something big, something major, <laughs> something kajunga. Something all-encompassing that is the only thing people have been able to talk about in Hollywood. Okay. Really? So, yeah. You know, obviously the Harvey Weinstein thing came out. I'd heard murmurs about it. It's not like it gets a lot of coverage. I mean, you don't think, you think Weinstein, you think Bob. Don't you? You, know, you never think. <laughs> and no one ever thinks Bob. Oh, shy and retiring Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. He's, he's such um, a docile character. Isn't he? He's a, he's a teddy bear. He's Harvey Those two Weinstein. words have never been in the same sentence. Docile as Harvey Weinstein. Weinstein. Never, yeah. First time. Um, yeah, all the stuff about him and his uh, behaviors, his exploits. Few, his exploits yeah. of the last. Three or four decades have been coming out. Mm. Now things are coming out about more people in Hollywood, more other high-profile names, and like people uh. that maybe you kind of like. If you hear them, you're like, ah, oh, kind of makes sense. But other people, you're just like, oh no, why? Please, why? So who we got I this time? Person. So the one that's come out today is Brett Ratner. Brett Ratner. Okay. Um, I don't have a disastrously high opinion of Brett Ratner anyway. I don't think a lot of people, except for Brett Ratner, do. No, and maybe but- Jeremy Piven. But yes, that's very true. Yeah. But, uh... Now, when some things have come out about him today, um, a number of uh, high-profile actresses have gone oh, on record about um, sexual, uh, sexual harassment and uh, misconduct carried out by Brett Ratner on sets. So, um, Ooh, okay. uh, Olivia Munn. Olivia Munn? What, yeah. what film has Olivia Munn done with Brett Ratner? I'm trying to think about that. Let me think. To, to be yeah. fair, it might be that they never even worked on a film together. We might have been going to work on Imagine he produces a lot of films, though, doesn't he, now? Through the Rat Pack Rat label. Pack. And Rat Pack produced some really lot. good films. Yeah. It's surprising how good he, and prolific they are. Yeah, well, I mean, he's responsible for so many billion in revenue now through yeah. the Rat Pack label. It's so. insane. Um, yeah, and uh, moving on from Brett Ratner, the really big one that came out a couple of days ago is... Um, uh, Anthony Rapp, who you may know from Star Trek Discovery, and I know him through Rent. Yeah, you're a Rent fan. I'm not really a fan. I want to say I call myself a Rent fan, but I'm married to someone that's obsessed with musical theatre. Okay, I know who these people are. So Anthony Rapp has been accused now. Or? Anthony Rapp is not. Anthony Rapp is the one doing the accusing against Kevin Spacey. Oh, okay. Oh, so this is this is the House of Cards story that I've seen elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Anthony Rapp has uh, gone on to say that when he was a 14 year old uh, child actor, um, he was working with Kevin Spacey in some theatre project, and there was an after party, and he invited Anthony Rapp. Well, I say invited. Sounds like he like coerced him <clears throat> back to his hotel room and drunkenly propositioned him, and then got on top of him. And oh. Kevin Spacey at the time was like 20. Six or twenty-eight, I think he said. This is grim. Yeah, it's not spacey. Kevin Spacey's now um, issued a statement about it. Oh, I saw the statement. We yeah. were talking about it when we were on the way down to London. Yeah, saying that <clears throat> he's uh, he he has no recollection of this happening at all. Was it the statement? I don't remember it happening, but if it did happen, I was drunk. By the way, I'm gay. Was yeah. that the thing? Which 
a lot of people were mad about. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it, it reads like, he's just throwing gay people under the bus. That, 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 that was, is my excuse. That was the bit of the statement. I, I choose to live my life as a gay man. That was yeah. what he said. It and was. It had the, the loaded implication that you can choose, choose to be yeah. gay. Because he's, he's been yeah. with men and women. Yeah, which weirdly means surely he's closer to his House of Cards character now than we'd like to admit. <laughs> oh, Meacham. <laughs> he is, but you sort of think, like, given how devious, Machiavellian, outright criminal, and, and I think that character is, we now have to conclude that Kevin Spacey really has a lot in common with that character. Yeah, well, speaking of House of Cards, um, they announced that they were in production for season six, and that season six was going to be the last. And then they announced they were going to be doing spin-offs of House of Cards characters. So the Robin Wright character's getting her own show. Yeah, yeah and that's totally the it. Michael Kelly character will get his own show. <laughs> yeah. But now... House of Stamper. House of Stamper. Oh, I would totally watch House of Stamper. <laughs> you just got stamped. Uh, yeah, oh. uh, production has now been shut down. Oh. So God. season six, Bloomer, isn't even... It's on, like, indefinite hiatus now. God. That's... Kevin Spacey. I know. Although I was, I was reading, I was reading a Scott Mendelson piece on Spacey that said, uh, Kevin, and the whole point of the article was that it said that Kevin Spacey's career was over long before this. That his career was already flatlined before this in that he's not been a major pull for decades. And he takes not it in the cinema world, no. not in the cinema world. And it takes, and he takes it back to the failure of pay it forward. Apparently that's where it all went wrong. If pay it forward hadn't, I didn't realize fought, pay it forward was a failure. Well, I mean, this is the thing, apparently it was a dud when it opened. Mm. Um, he briefly had some star power a year later with Capex, but then after that, like fizzled K-Pax. out again. But I always liked The Negotiator. That was always my favourite. With Samuel Jackson? Yeah. yeah. Tell me why, Danny. Tell me why I should deal with you ever again. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good one of that era, Spacey. Oh, F. Gary Gray directing as well. I know. I know. I love F. Gary Gary. F. Gary Gary. <laughs> yeah, but it's like... What's Gary Gary ever done to you, man? Why are you being like all F. Gary Gary? <laughs> F. Gary Gary, man. Um, yeah, he... Um, what was that film? Is it Swimming with Sharks or Sleeping with Sharks? Swimming with Sharks. One that's of my favourite ever movies. Yeah. And, and who never, is that guy that plays the lead? Because he's, he's Frank in, Wally. Yeah, he's in Pulp Fiction for like two minutes. Hey, two hey, minutes. More impressively, I think you'll find he is the absentee dad in Monster Trucks. My yes, friend, yes, he is. <clears throat> Lest you forget, he's in Luke Cage as well for a little bit. Uh, yes, he, but he's um, he on on the London West End stage version. He was played by Matt Smith. Hmm. And the Kevin Spacey character was played by Christian Slater. Oh, I'd watch that. You would watch the hell out of that, wouldn't mm. you? Like, Christian Slater is that character. Yes. There is a line of dialogue from that movie that I have used ever since the first time I saw it. Are you allowed to use it on a podcast? Uh, yes, I am. Um, it is, it's that line of dialogue when he's telling the guy how unimportant he is. And he says, you mean nothing to me. My bath mat means more <laughs> to me than you. And I have genuinely used that line so many times in my lifetime. But not that I often tell people. Yeah, not that I'm a... Cruel, sadistic, no, no, SOB or anything. Just, but, uh, my, my, my expendable view of people. <laughs> yeah, well, but, I've, I've got to talk to my mum once a year, so uh, <laughs> I need some conversation. Exactly. Yeah. So, speaking of heartless people, can we talk about uh, Science and Lambs? Yeah. So, okay, so Science and Lambs is back for, uh, for is it one day? Is it back for one day? Is that all it's back for? It's, I mean, we've all seen it like a thousand times. We've all times seen it a thousand anyway. times. It's back, it's cleaned up, it's on the big screen again. And uh, so, Anthony Hopkins, Clarice Starling, all back in one fantastic package. Wasn't this, this one back? Best picture, didn't it? It like. won the big five. It won the big five. Yes. Best actor, best actress, director, picture. Screenplay. Screenplay. Okay. I didn't realise it won that many. Yeah. I think it was the last film to do that as well. Really? Yeah, there's oh, not been right. another film to do the five since then. Because, of course, Titanic won loads. 
no acting Oscars. Oh, yes, good point. Well, I don't think anyone wanted to give Billy Zane his much-deserved uh, oh. award for uh, for acting. He'll get it one day. <laughs> put, put a cork in it, Zane. I believe in you, Zane. I, I want to live in you. a world where Billy Zane gets, like, a Lifetime Achievement Oscar. <laughs> I know. One day it'll happen, and they'll play it on that highlight reel. They will play footage from The Phantom. That's what counts. Anyway, so, uh, directed by Jonathan Demme, uh, written by Ted Talley, based on the novel by uh, Thomas Harris, starring Jodie Foster, starring Scott Glenn, starring uh, Ted Levine, and, of course, starring none other than Ahop himself, Sir Anthony of Hopkins, of the Welsh Hopkins. And, um... (laughs) So the, of the, the uh, Pembrokeshire of the Hopkins, Pembrokeshire. I believe, yeah. So of the... Uh, oh, how do you summarise this story? So you've got a young FBI recruit, Clarice Starling, who is sent into a, an institution for the criminally insane to interview an incarcerated serial killer, Dr Hannibal Lecter, who audiences were already familiar with for having appeared in novel form in Red Dragon mm. and on in cinematic form in, in the adaptation. Brian Cox form. Brian Cox form in uh, Man, Manhunter, wasn't Manhunter, it? Manhunter, yeah. yeah. So Red Dragon is Manhunter as a film, yeah. So either way, the character existed before Silence of the Lambs. He's now played by Anthony Hopkins, and he is there to provide insight into catching a new serial killer, Buffalo Bill. And uh, he's played by Ted Levine, and, well, I don't really want to reveal too much. If you've never seen the film, which you absolutely <laughs> should have, you should have. It's an amazing movie. And I'll tell you what, we'll prove it to you. Here is a clip of the first time Starling and uh, Dr. Lecter meet. Good morning. Dr. Lecter, my name is Clarice Starling. May I speak with you? You're one of Jack Crawford's, aren't you? I am, yes. May I see your credentials? Certainly. Closer, please. Closer. That expires in one week. You're not real FBI, are you? Okay, so we kind of proved a point there as we were listening to that clip in which you and I were literally quoting along. Closer, please. Closer. Because it's so iconic. It's one of those films, like you and I watched uh, that thing about Psycho, the other we watched that Psycho documentary, 7852, and there was that moment where we both looked at each other and laughed when they included the Simpsons uh, parody of the shower yeah. scene from well, Psycho. There were so many clips that they included, but yeah, the Simpsons yeah. one in particular. Because, of course, you and I know that the Simpsons has parodied literally everything, including Silence of the Lambs. But Silence of the Lambs mm. is such a parodied thing now. You look at things like South Park, you look at the number of... Did you ever see National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon 1? I did. I love that film. That brilliant parody with F. Murray <laughs> Abraham. Again, what <laughs> Did Marie Abraham ever do to you? Um, but uh, <laughs> every time now, and and this is the thing. It's such. A, I can't think of any more. I oh, know I can't either. Scott Scott Fitzgerald, but that's obviously yeah. where the joke comes from. Um, but this is the thing. It's it's the genesis of so much spoofery and parody and influence in that way that Blade Runner is in the way that Two Thousand One is. It's one of those films that comes out came out the gate and just set a trend forever. And so much so that even when they've tried to go back to the Hannibal Lecter, well, they've never managed to recap the magic. So Red Dragon never quite did it. Hannibal never quite did it. Hannibal Rising is best forgotten by everyone, including Thomas Harris's accountant. But, yeah, we just... I think we're kind of done with it. But, um... The thing is that this film absolutely holds up, and it shouldn't ever be touched. I, Jodie Foster is amazing in it. Anthony Hopkins is a god in this movie. Scott Glenn, perfect mentor figure, with that sort of weird sexual undercurrent that there is between uh, him and Jodie Foster. Who's uh, the name of a guy that plays the... Doctor who's in charge of the ward. Oh, do you mean Anthony Heald? I hate him so much. Is it Heald? Yeah. I love him, though. You love to hate him. You love to hate him. Yeah. He is just so, like, 
seedy. I know he's so good for that character. It's just, though. He's like he's oily. Yes, he? Yeah. he is an oily lizard, and it's such a great performance, though. Isn't mm. it? And also, he's one of those characters, though, that the minute he turns up, you know he's going to play that role later. Yeah. He's only in it for four minutes. He's only in it for four minutes. Well, he's not in it for that long. He's in it for less time than Peter Gallagher's in a Bad Mum's Christmas. Oh, I'm definitely not seeing it now. <laughs> but how long are Peter Gallagher's eyebrows on screen for? Well, that's a good point. Yeah, he, he uh, leaves his brows. Two scenes. Two scenes. But it's nothing but brows. N- nothing but brows. Um, but yeah, I, I think for me, for me though, the MVP of the Sons of the Lambs, other than, you know, Jonathan Demme's fantastic direction, is uh, Ted Levine as mm. Buffalo Bill. And I think he's genuinely terrific. <laughs> he's I don't, amazing. I don't understand how he didn't have an A-list career after this film, because it was absolutely a performance worthy of it. Um, it's a film that, if you've never seen, you should be ashamed of yourself. You should go and see it immediately. It's a film that, if you have seen it, you obviously love it already, and you'll want to see it again. We have the poster on the wall in my house, in a frame, in my bedroom, and it terrifies a lot of people. <laughs> except for you and your <laughs> yeah, Except for me yeah. and my significant other, yes. Um, but you know, I got Serenity, she got Silence of the Lambs. So, but yeah, um, it is a tremendous work. It absolutely holds up, and you should see it on the big screen if you get the chance. Have you ever seen it on the big screen? Uh, I've not. Uh, yeah, I would really love to. I think I saw it at uni on the big screen for the first time, and then I've, I've gone to like cult class. I've seen it more times than I can remember. Now. And you know what? Deservedly so. It's a great movie. It I've really s- is. I've seen it at least once a year, every year since I saw it the first time. a boy. Yeah. <laughs> Good <laughs> idea. But, okay, I'm going to pass it over to you for some film news then before yeah. we do the last review of the week. What have we got? Okay, we have a release date for Creed the Second. Creed the Second. I hope that's Creed. Name. It'd be amazing. If Creed the Second. Creed the Second. Yeah. Creed Chapter Two. Creed Squared. Creed Squared. Creed Squared. Yeah. yeah. Creeder. Ooh, Creeder. Creeder. Mm. Oh, I like that. Go on. I mean, I'm disappointed that like when I went to go see it, there was no Scott Stapp. There was no music of <laughs> iconic '90s Protoclan band. Can you check me? <laughs> That's all that film was missing. I know. Needed like my sacrifice in the soundtrack. Oh, I know. Yeah. If I. Can we watch uh, the show uh, Celebrity Deathmatch? Yes, I did. There's one where it's Scott Stapp versus Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam. Oh, good God. And he's like, give me back my voice. And he's like, it's uh, my voice too. I always think <laughs> of him when I, when I watch that bit for the first Ted movie and they uh, they do that, they're, they're sort of taking the make out of 90s singers. Mm. He says you could sing literally any 90s song using just vowels. Oh, absolutely. And he's using Hootie the Blowfish. But he sing, the way he sings it is Scott Stapp. The A-I-O-U. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah, totally. Of course, so Creed 2 comes out on the 21st of November next year. I'm so in. I'm absolutely I am in. in. I am less in than I was for the first Creed. Really? Yeah. Any reason? Sylvester Stallone. And the absence of Ryan Coogler. Uh, yeah, I suppose. I think Ryan Coogler was a, a defining I'm, I'm definitely going to see it. But it's definitely just going to be a rehash of the first one, but with Ivan Drago. I Ivan worry Drago about it being so- more of a Rocky sequel than a Creed, a Creed sequel. I think it needs to if, be... If Sly yeah. has just taken over. Because mm. that's one of the reasons why it works so well, is because he's such an amazing character, obviously, but like he's even better now as a supporting character. Yes, that's it. Rocky absolutely works better in that capacity in these movies. Now, yeah. Making just- this more part of the Rocky canon, I think, is a bad idea. Mm. Like, I wouldn't have done Ivan Drago ever. Because also... Does that not then take the narrative back into sillier terrain? Definitely. Because in Creed, they went out of their way never to mention exactly let's, how yeah, Creed let's died. Let's not mention Rocky IV. As great as it is, let's not mention it. Yeah, let's not mention that time that Apollo got killed by a Russian super soldier. Mm. Yeah. I want it to be a twist where we find out, but it's not actually Creed's song. It's actually Club of Langs. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Adonis Lang. Adonis Lang. 
would be awesome. No one would see that coming. No. I, that would be I'm such a good twist. That. So Felicia Richard gets a really good role where she turns up and has to tearfully admit. That's where his tempers come from all these years. Because Club Lang was like, hey woman, hey woman, <laughs> I want to see what a real man's all about. <laughs> it was on the Sky Cinema the other day and I just got, I was supposed What's to do some work I just got sucked into it. Oh, it's so good. Oh man, it really is. You did meet it. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that bit of, like the statue unveiling where he just he rocks up to the statue and is like he ain't no champion he ain't no champ you ain't no champion <laughs> love it alright okay uh, final review then for the week hmm. uh, let's talk about uh, Ferrari Race to Immortality which is um, actually do you know this is like the third Formula 1 documentary we've had this year that's uh, that's a lot. That's did, did you did you even know that? I, 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 I did not. I thought it. I thought it was Senna years ago, and no other examples. Well, this year we've gone through McLaren and Williams, and now we're at uh, Ferrari. Oh. So yeah, okay. So this is directed by Daryl Goodrich, um, and this is the, this is basically this, not so much the background of Ferrari. We do get that sort of early on, like a very mm. brief truncated version of that. But it is the rise and rise and rise of Enzo Ferrari. Um, it's filmed in that brilliant Senna-like style, in that Asif Kapadia-like style of we'll never use talking heads it is all <laughs> poor david byrne <laughs> yeah i know okay sorry uh yeah it's all it's all voices it's all archival footage and it's all tremendous editing and um what you get is it looks at the rivalries that emerged, the relationships that he had with pl- with his races. I almost said players then with his races, the relationships he had with uh, with friends and with uh, with relationships off screen uh, off the uh, off the track. And uh, well, yeah, I mean, story Ferrari. Here's a clip. It was an era of great glamour and great risk. These men went out to drive these red cars, not knowing whether they would come back alive. When it came to running drivers, Ferrari's approach was the more pressure you put on them, the faster they will go. Well, they were rather like fighter pilots. Well, gladiators, I suppose. So this um, this does focus quite heavily as well on the relationship between uh, Peter Collins and Mike Hawthorne, who were the uh, the British racers who joined Ferrari in I think it was the fifties, I think, and they were sort of the poster boys for a while. But they were also best friends. And there's a really intriguing way of going into this story in which they focus on these two friends and how Fer- Ferrari himself liked to foster animosity and competitiveness between his drivers. And uh, so, like, he could only have four available at one time, but he had five drivers. So someone always had to sit it out. And these two, being so friendly, kind of screwed him a little. And he hated the fact, and he didn't know until after he'd hired them that they were as chummy as they were. And the relationship is, is really sweet and really interesting and, and actually something to, to actually w- enjoy watching unfold on screen. Um, the depiction of Ferrari himself, thankfully, doesn't shy away from his nastier elements because he, you know, he was a, a hard-edged, uh, hard-edged guy who really had no interest outside of racing. Mm. And we get him on tape admitting as much. Him actually saying, I don't have a life outside of driving. I wouldn't want one. And that's absolutely fair enough. Um, it doesn't shy away from, you know, depicting anyone in negative light. It doesn't shy away from depicting the nastier side of racing either. There's a lot of footage in here that is absolutely harrowing to watch. Just accidents and things like that where they happen to have been caught on camera. You know, in a time when racing wasn't really a televised sport, mm. but they happen to have footage of these open top racing cars flipping over and bodies just being absolutely snapped in half and guys being thrown hundreds of feet across through the air. And it's, 
absolutely mortifying at times and yet at the same time absolutely exhilarating it is a brilliant encapsulation of what it must have been like to be in that sport at that time and you can you can actually see why it fascinates so many people in this surprising we don't actually get more more works of narrative fiction set in the racing world actually Hmm. because you watch something like this and think there is we just get a lot of like biopics don't we yeah i mean other than a biopic because we're getting a ferrari one from michael mann aren't we is that yeah, still happening? Uh, Christian Bale, I believe, that's still Did happening. he drop out, or did he not? I don't know. I think he'll have to, like... Mm. I, I, I need to see a picture of Enzo Ferrari, really. <laughs> it's a, it's a large <laughs> Italian, man. Well, that's all right, man. I guess, yeah. like, you, you work your way up to Dick Cheney. <laughs> yeah, when you're on the way back down, weight-wise, you stop at Enzo Ferrari about halfway. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, okay, that's, that's yeah. it, yeah. Uh, so, have you got a final piece of film news for our podcast edition, then? Uh, yeah, so Jeff Goldblum is apparently only going to be a minor presence in the Jurassic World sequel. Is that Fallen Kingdom? Yeah. Yeah, you don't like that title. I hate it. I hate it almost as much as Welcome to the Jungle. But I can go with that, yeah. What would you prefer, Jurassic Universe? Jurassic Planet? I don't know if it needs... I prefer that to Fallen Kingdom. Would you just prefer Jurassic World 2? Yeah. Or my personal favourite, Jurafivic? Or maybe just Jurassic Kingdom. Ooh, Jurassic Kingdom would have been awesome. That would have been nice. Especially if it's been set in the UK, which it seems to be. Called Jurassic Kingdom. Okay, I would absolutely have gone with that. Yes. Do you know what? I'm with you. That is a better title. Thank you. Fallen Kingdom sucks. Down with Fallen Kingdom. It's all a bit Transformers, isn't it? It is a bit, yeah. yeah. Fall of Man. That's the Mockbuster version, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. By the way, I watched Geodisaster, the <laughs> Asylum's Mockbuster version of Geostorm. Even though Geostorm is the Mockbuster version yeah. of Geostorm. You would think Geostorm would be its own Mockbuster. No, Geodisaster. Yeah. But anyway, so Jeff Goldblum... It's that thing where, like, it's... it's- you cannot parody it. No, you can't. So Jeff Goldblum's going to be in the... He's not going to be in it very much. Is that the point? He's going to be in it, but he's going to be a minor presence, per se. Oh, okay. Fair enough, fair enough. But like a minor sort of... Just a minor cameo, basically. Probably, yeah. Oh, but maybe we'll come back for future ones. Maybe that's what's going to happen. Well, we can hope. But, you know, he was kind of a cameo in Jurassic World, so... Yeah. In, in book form. In book form. In there's book a, there's form. a photo of him. What was the name of the book? Do you remember? Because I couldn't remember this the other day. Is it God Creates Dinosaurs? Oh, Man Creates Dinosaurs, is that it? Maybe, yeah. Or Man Kills... It's just a variation on that, Other isn't thing. It? Yeah. But, oh, well, that's sad time. I want to have Sam Neill back. I know, me too. <laughs> oh, well. So should we leave it there for this week for the podcast edition? No, unless you can tell me Sam Neill's going to be in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. I'm afraid I cannot do that, sir. Then oh. you suck. On which note, here it is, your moment of cage. There is no one else in this entire office that I could possibly ask to share such a horrible job. You're the lowest on the totem pole here, Alva. The lowest. Do you realize that? Every other secretary who's been here has been here longer than you, Alva. Every one. And even if there was someone here who was here just one day longer than you, I still wouldn't ask that person to partake in such a miserable job as long as you were around. That's right, Alva. It's a horrible, horrible job. Sifting through old contract after old contract. I couldn't think of a more horrible job if I wanted to. And you have to do it. You have to, or I'll fire you. Do you understand? Do you? <laughs> <laughs>